0: Thank you, Dale, and good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you again. And I encourage you to keep uh, Genesis 32 open if you've got a Bible there. As a preacher, it's never an easy job to teach God's word, but there are some passages that are a little bit more tricky than others. And I found this uh, a tricky passage. Uh, I've wrestled with Jacob wrestling with God. And uh, I pray that out of my wrestling uh, with this passage, that there will be some fruits and it will be helpful for us. Uh, And I think that there are lessons uh, in this passage for us, important lessons that we need to learn and and particularly important um, during this time uh, when we've been through uh, uncertainty and and difficult times. Uh, But before we get to uh, what this means for us, we've got to do some work first before we get to that point. And we need to ask some other questions before we ask the question, what does this mean for us? Uh, Whenever you come across a a tricky passage in the Bible, uh, it's always good to look at the the context, uh, look at at what comes uh, around this passage, what comes uh, before and afterwards. Uh, And then to zoom out a little bit more and and think about uh, where does this come uh, in the the, the book, this this book being Genesis, but also, the Old Testament, and indeed the New Testament as well, in the whole story of the Bible. And that's how we can start to work out what does this mean for us. But we're going to start with the question, what did this mean for Jacob? We're going to look at the immediate context to begin with of what's going on here as Jacob wrestles with God. And we're just going to go back to the first half of the passage in Genesis 32. And we see there that that Jacob um, has already been through one really difficult trial. He's been through 20 years serving his uncle Laban. And now he's heading home. He's heading back to the promised land. So he's left one trial, but there's another trial ahead now. We, We saw that on the video. The children were shown. He's about to meet his brother Esau. See, before he comes back into the promised land, he needs to deal with his past. He needs to deal with something that he's been able to put off for 20 years, but now he has to come face to face with his brother Esau. And remember, the last time we heard about Esau, he was angry with Jacob because Jacob stole his blessing and his birthright, and Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And now, chickens are coming home to roost or at least that's what Jacob fears. Jacob fears that he's going to get his comeuppance at last after 20 years and his brother is going to finally get him for what he did to him in the past and this fear is intensified when Jacob hears that Esau is going to come and meet him with what sounds like a small army. 400 men are coming with Esau so Jacob is afraid he's terrified but right at the start of this passage genesis 32 god reassures jacob of both his presence and his protection and you notice in verse 1 the angels of god met him and jacob says this is the camp of god and it's the same similar language as we see in genesis 28 at Bethel, uh, when Jacob is on his way out of the promised land, God meets him there and he sees the ladder, and the angels of God are coming up and down the ladder to, to help Jacob to minister to him. And now that, that there's a similar thing happening here the, the angels of God are there, and Jacob knows that God is with him. But we also find that this is a very different Jacob. To the man that we first met in Genesis. That Jacob in the past was a schemer, he was a deceiver, but his character over the years has been changing and developing. He's growing from a a sly schemer to a prayerful planner. In the past, we saw that Jacob used his wits and his intellect and, and his acting skills to. Scheme his way to blessing to get hold of what he wanted for himself. But his approach is different now. He, he still makes plans. So uh, he sends out messengers in verse three. He splits up his people into two groups for safety in verse seven. He prepares a gift to placate his brother in verse 13. But this planning is not rooted in self reliance like it was before, but in God. Reliance. And that's another change in Jacob's character from self reliance to God reliance. And we see this God reliance in his prayer in verses 9 to 12. It's a simple prayer. Really, what he's asking is for God to save him. He's afraid of his brother and he wants God to save him. But it is a prayer that is. Grounded in the promises of God, and and therefore, it's a prayer that Jacob can pray with confidence in God. Jacob is reminding himself as he prays this prayer of what God has already promised to give him. In fact, the the prayer ends and begins with promise, it's bookended by the promises of God. It begins with the the promise of a place and the blessing in, in the place. And it ends with the promise of people and, and the blessing that those people would be to the whole world. And it's a, a model for how we should pray. We pray at reminding ourselves of what God has already promised to give us. That gives us confidence as we ask him for the things that we need. But this prayer also helps us to see something else that is happening to Jacob. Another development in his character. He's gone from grasping to gratitude. Jacob's name means heel grasper. He got his name, you might remember, because when he came out of his mother, uh, Esau, his twin brother, came first and Jacob came out second, grasping the heel of his brother. And so that name stuck, Jacob, the heel grasper but he was also a grasper in a different way he was a grasper after blessing he tried to get something for himself whether it was the birthright that his was his brothers by right or whether it was the blessing that his brother should have had jacob was grasping after things for himself but his attitude now has changed he's now displaying humble gratitude instead of grasping for himself he realizes that the blessings that he has received have all come to him from god and he doesn't deserve any of them so god has been dealing with jacob god has been using the last 20 years of his life painful though they've been to teach him valuable lessons and to develop his character to change him from a sly schemer to a prayerful planner From self reliance to God reliance, and from an attitude of grasping to humble gratitude. But God isn't finished with Jacob yet. And this is where the wrestling match comes in. And this is a really crucial moment in Jacob's life, as he is there by the the ford of the river Jabbok. His family have already passed over. He's on his way to meet Esau. and There's uncertainty in the air. He doesn't know how this meeting with Esau is going to turn out. He's heading back into the promised land. He's on the cusp of uh, of God's promises being fulfilled to him. And it's also an important moment in his character development as well. So this is a, a crucial time in Jacob's life. And we see that Jacob seems to continue this this pattern of of prayer and planning. In verses 7 to 8, he plans. Verses 9 to 12, he prays. verses 13 to 21, he plans again. And now here, uh, from verses 22 onwards, it seems that he wants to pray again because he wants to spend time on his own. He stays behind on, on the other side of the river to be alone at this crucial moment in his life. And we we can read between the lines there and and assume that Jacob wants to pray. He needs God's help. But Jacob isn't left alone because in the night, a mysterious man comes along and starts wrestling with him. And this wrestling match goes on all night until daybreak. And it sounds like a well matched fight. Neither, it seems, can overpower the other until the mystery man. Touches the socket of Jacob's hip and it's wrenched out of place. Now we might ask, well, if this mystery man had such power that with one touch he could wrench Jacob's hip out of place, and why didn't he do that before? Why does he wait until daybreak to do that when he could have easily defeated him before that? We'll we'll come back to that in a moment. But regardless of this infirmity that Jacob is left with, his his hip out of joint, he keeps going, he keeps wrestling, he keeps clinging on to this stranger until the man has to say, well, you've got to let me go now. It's daybreak. But Jacob doesn't want to let him go. He wants blessing. And on the surface, as, as we... Hear that, we we might think, well, this is just the same old Jacob. This is the grasper again. He's doing whatever he can to get blessing. He's clinging hold of his fellow wrestler so that he can grasp the blessing from him. But there is something different about the way that Jacob gets blessing on this occasion. You see, in the past, Jacob got his blessing through deceit through scheming he won his blessing through lies but now he is gaining this blessing through a hard-fought but honest struggle and this reflects more the person that jacob is becoming he's not yet not there yet but he is developing in his character he's he's not Grasping so much now, but he, he, he's ready to receive. He's not scheming, but he's, he, he's prayerful and, and, and reliant. And so with this changing of character comes a change of name. The mystery person says to him at verse 28 Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because You have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And with those words, Jacob realises who it is he's been struggling with. Even though the man won't give his name, Jacob knows he has been wrestling with God himself. And he realises that he is. He's seen God face to face. He's been in such close proximity with God, and yet he has lived. He survived. Now, we might ask, well, what is the point of this wrestling match? What is going on here? What was God trying to teach Jacob by coming and wrestling with him? We see what is happening here. this wrestling match is that God is showing Jacob in one night what the last 20 years have been all about and also what's going to lie ahead of him in the future. See in these last 20 years Jacob has been getting regular doses of his own medicine. The deceiver has been deceived. Jacob has been Tricked and and lied to time and time again by his uncle Laban. But what God wants Jacob to see is that his struggle with Laban has not just been a struggle with a human being, it's also been a struggle with God. His 20 year arm wrestle with Laban, which he's only just been able to overcome and escape from has actually been a wrestle with god you see god wasn't absent in those 20 years god was right there in jacob's struggle god was active god was struggling and wrestling with jacob god has used laban yes lying laban deceitful laban to develop Jacob's character, to turn him from a sly schemer into a prayerful planner, to change him from self-reliance to God-reliance, and from grasping to gratitude. And God has used Laban to humble Jacob, to bring him low, but also to bring blessing into Jacob's life. Jacob left the promised land 20 years previously and uh, entered that area where Laban lived with nothing, with with just his staff and the clothes on his back. But he is leaving uh, that place and coming back into the promised land with a, a family, with servants, with animals, With so much blessing. So God has been at work, both to humble him, but also to bless him. And in this wrestling match, God wants to show Jacob that his real struggle has not been with Laban, and, and it isn't with Esau. His real struggle is with God. And this struggle is necessary in order for Jacob to learn how to overcome and to receive God's blessing. See, Jacob had to learn that that God's blessing can't just be grasped at whatever we want it. God's blessing often comes at a cost. Often there is a struggle that we have to go through first. The struggle is one that God initiates. And the struggle is one that, that God remains in control of all the way through. Yes, God could have uh, stopped that wrestling match at any time. But he needed to teach Jacob lessons in the midst of that struggle. He was in control all the way through. And that should have been a great comfort to Jacob. For Jacob to know that whatever human beings had done to him in the past, or were about to do to him in the future, thinking mainly about Esau and what he might do to Jacob. It was God, ultimately, who was at work. It was God who was ordaining and controlling all of these events, not to punish Jacob, but to bless him. And just so that Jacob knows that this struggle is going to continue, He's left with a permanent reminder of this wrestling match. He leaves the ring with a limp. And that is a permanent reminder of God's dealings with Jacob. Now, Jacob is stripped of his self-sufficiency. From now on, he, he would walk with a limp. But he gains far more. As one writer put it, this wrestling match was both defeat And victory all in one. Jacob emerges broken, but also blessed. What is taken from him is far outweighed by what he receives from God as a result. So that's what this event meant for Jacob. But let's just zoom out a bit further in terms of the the context uh, of the Bible in the context of uh, the story of Jacob's family, the story of Israel. And let's ask the question, well, what would this have meant for Israel? Because the lesson that Jacob was learning here was the same lesson that Israel needed to learn, that they already had a permanent reminder of this wrestling match in their food laws, that they weren't allowed to eat the tendon that was attached. the hip of any animal but it's also a significant passage not just because of food but because this is the first time in the bible that we hear the word or the name israel and if you were an israelite then that's significant for you because you're here your name is here The, the name of your your nation is here for the first time. And so this, is, again, is where the, the context comes in, and not just the immediate context of, of Genesis and this passage, but looking further beyond that and, and asking the question, well, why was Genesis written? And who was it written to? We have to remember that, that all parts of the Bible were, were written at a particular time in history. With a particular group of people in mind. Genesis wasn't written directly to us. That's why some of what we read in Genesis is so hard for us to understand, because it was written at a different time, in a different place, for a different people. It was written by Moses, who was the leader of the people of Israel. And it was written probably while the people were going through. The wilderness, they'd left Egypt and they were heading to the promised land, the same place that Jacob is heading towards. And Moses, through the inspiration of God's spirit, wants to teach God's people about their origins, about their beginnings. That's what the book of Genesis means. That Genesis means that origins. It's it's about the beginning. It's about the beginning of the universe, it's about the beginning of humanity, but more particularly than that, it's about the beginning of the nation of Israel. This family that that began with Abraham and and grew and grew and grew until uh, at the Exodus they they numbered perhaps two million people as they left Egypt to enter the promised land. Now we've been seeing recently how important it is to learn the lessons of the past and how knowing our history can help us in the present and in the future. We look back at history and we see that racial tensions and global pandemics are nothing new. These are issues that we have struggled with for generations but the key is to learn the lessons from history and not to repeat the mistakes of history which is what we so often do the people of israel needed to learn that god was at work in this hard struggle that they were going through in the wilderness as they tried to enter the promised land. You know, they they thought that coming out of Egypt would be the hard bit. Well, try wandering in a desert for 40 years with nothing but manna as food. And seeing every day more and more of your friends and and family dying off and thinking, will we ever get to the promised land? So the Israelites were going through a hard struggle. And they needed to learn the same lessons that Jacob was learning in his hard struggle. The problem was that they didn't. They didn't learn the lessons of the past. They didn't learn prayerfulness. They didn't learn reliance and gratitude. Instead, they turned away from God. They failed to trust God as Jacob had trusted God in the past. You know, hundreds of years after Jacob, the prophet Hosea preached to the people of Israel, and he's known as a deathbed prophet, because he was the last prophet that God sent to uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel before they fell uh, at the hands of the Assyrians and were taken off out of the land out of the promised land uh, into captivity never to return again and uh, in his uh, writing that in his is preaching hosea is as he speaks to god's people as he gives them this final warning he goes back to this incident in genesis 32 uh, in hosea 12 verse 3 it says there about jacob that in the womb he grasped his brother's heel as a man he struggled with god he struggled with the angel and overcame him he wept and begged for his favor he found him at bethel and talked with him there the lord god almighty the lord is his name and the message to israel is clear but you must return to your god Retain love and justice and wait for your God always just as Jacob had learned to wait on God to trust in God so this generation of Israel needed to trust in God that was the lesson of Jacob that Hosea was bringing to them but it was a lesson that they failed to learn so they were carried off out of the promised land into exile Israel didn't learn the lessons of the past, but will we? And so finally, we we now come to us. We've done a lot of work to get there, but we can ask the question now, what does this mean for us? Because the New Testament tells us that everything written in God's word, everything that was written from the past, from the Old Testament, was written for our instruction. It's written to teach us, to help us in our in our own struggles, in the Christian life. Will we overcome in the trials that God sends us, the the, the trials that He brings into our lives to, to develop our character and to strengthen us in our faith? Well, the first step to 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 learning the lessons and and to Responding to trials in the right way is to understand that these trials come into our lives not as random events, but as events that are are brought there by God for a purpose. See that this uh, stranger who appeared to Jacob and started wrestling with him—that that wasn't a, a a random event. That was planned by God and the struggles that come into our lives are brought there by God they're all part of his sovereign and his good plan for our lives the reformer John Calvin said that all Christians in this world are restless all of us are struggling and wrestling in some way And the reason why is because the Lord exercises us with various kinds of conflicts. He says, For as all prosperity flows from his goodness, so adversity is either the rod with which he corrects our sins or the test of our faith and patience. We might want to avoid conflict at all costs, but God often brings conflict into our lives. For our good, He is not only the author of our blessings, he's also the author of our afflictions. And in these trials and these tests, we must wrestle with God. He wants to bless us, but often those blessings come out of buffetings. You might have heard of, of John Newton, who is a, a famous pastor. And hymn writer, he wrote the hymn "Amazing Grace," and he knew a lot about struggles, about trials in his former life as a slave trader. Um, on many occasions, he was faced with with danger at sea. There was one time when his his ship uh, was nearly sunk in a, a violent storm in, in the Atlantic, and then later on, he, he endured seven. Years of struggle to try and get into into ministry. He faced many dangers, toils and snares. He didn't just write about them, he experienced them himself. He suffered great disappointments in his life. And yet his trust in the sovereign God never wavered. He saw that the proper response to trials, to the strugglings and the wrestlings of life, was not resentment, was not to flee, but to understand that that they were coming to him and to us from the loving hand of a faithful God. He wrote about this in, in the final verse of another one of his hymns I asked the Lord that I might grow. And this is the the final verse of that hymn. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free and break the schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find your all in me. See, if we want to grow, if we want to develop in our character, then we need conflict. We need to go through trials. That's what God was doing in Jacob's struggle, in his wrestling match. He was setting him free from pride, from sinful and selfish scheming, so that Jacob could find his all in the Lord. And you, sometimes these trials leave us with a limp. Some of us might have permanent reminders of God's dealings with us. Maybe a permanent weakness that we have, perhaps a a physical weakness or perhaps an emotional scar that reminds us of what God has been doing in our lives. And to help us not to trust in ourselves, but in God. The Apostle Paul had this experience. He was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment him in 2 Corinthians verse 12. Uh, Although Satan was at work uh, in this tormenting and in this trial, ultimately God was in control. And so the Lord says to Paul, in the midst of this trial, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's why Paul, rather than fleeing from trials, was able to delight in weakness. He was able to delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Because he knew that when he was weak, when he walked with a limp, That was when he was truly strong. Just as Jacob emerged from this wrestling match with God stronger than what he was before. Even though physically he had a limp now. So Paul knew that that when he was weak, actually that was when he was strong. Because he wasn't relying on himself anymore. He was relying on God. I wonder are you in a hard place right now are you in a situation w- which is really difficult where maybe every day feels like a struggle it feels like you you're wrestling just to to get through and your god has brought you into this place for a purpose or perhaps There is a person in your life that is making things difficult for you. Maybe a colleague at work, perhaps a friend, a neighbour, somebody in your own family. Somebody who's making life really hard. Or perhaps you're just experiencing the struggle of caring for a loved one. Perhaps the, the needs of, of somebody in your life are just overwhelming you at the moment. and You don't know how you can cope as you seek to help them and, and love them and serve them. You know, again, God has brought this person into your life. He's brought you into this situation. It's not an accident. God is doing his work in you. God brings us through trials, not to crush us, but ultimately to bless us, to set us free from sin and pride, to set us free from our scheming for earthly joy, so that we can find something far greater, so we can find our all in And in our struggles, we fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, that's who the angel of the Lord ultimately is pointing us forward to. The angel of the Lord points us to Jesus, to God becoming a man and entering into our struggle, coming into the darkness. Battling with our sin, wrestling with our pride and our scheming. But in this struggle, as, as Jesus became man and, 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 and wrestled with us as human beings, battled with us, battled with our sin, it was God who was left with a limp. It was God who suffered on the cross in our place. Jesus. Died the death that we deserved. He bore the suffering that we should have borne so that we could be set free and that we could enjoy eternal blessing in Him. Let's pray together as we close. Father, in some ways, this this incident of Jacob uh, wrestling with the angel, wrestling with God, is uh, a mystery to us. We we can't really picture how, how that could happen. And maybe we still have questions unanswered about this event. But Lord, help us to see that ultimately it points us forward to a greater mystery. It points us forward to uh, the mystery of of you coming in the flesh, coming into this world, robed in frail humanity, uh, coming into our longing, into our darkness, coming to join the struggle with us against sin, against pride, against our scheming. And to set us free, to set us free from our sin, so that we can enjoy eternal blessing with you. And so in our struggles, we look to Christ. We look to the one who, who took on flesh to ransom us, the one who struggled with us to set us free. And he is our hope. He is our joy. He is the strength that we need to carry on and by his spirit living in us and at work within us we ask that you would enable us to keep going in our struggle and to learn the lessons that you want us to learn in Jesus name we pray